Ladies and gentlemen, I am very excited to introduce this guest to you today. You know, Mike, I had the one, the only Delco Dan on in a previous episode that hasn't been released yet. Yeah, I'm trying I saw to, a little clip. I'm trying to stockpile. Yeah, the, the Bonds Over Baghdad clip. Yeah. Do you know that song? No. Okay, no. yeah. That was, uh, that was big when I was your age. But uh, <laughs> Dan, I was telling Dan how I was going to have you on this season. I'm in the second season. You know, I'm trying to batch it all together, so I appreciate everyone's patience. Um, but I, I told him I want to have you on just so that 20 years from now when Michael DeMonte is, you know – in the same conversation as Quentin Tarantino and Stanley Kubrick, I'll be able to say that I had him on cheesesteaks with before anyone knew. And I really believe that, man. Um, so anyway, I wanted to have you on because uh, of that, you know, my selfish purpose there. And two, um, I I mean, there's, there's two other reasons. One, you did that documentary, which we'll have to talk about. Right. And then two, um, I'm just kind of interested in, you know, seeing where – your mind is right now with filmmaking and your, asp- and your aspirations. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like what you want, you know, I, yeah. I, I really believe that, um, you know, and no pressure because I've, I've known a few, uh, you know, people that were obsessed, so to speak at your age that just kind of got burned out. So, yeah. you know, if you get to that point where filmmaking isn't for you, no judgment, but if you stick with it, I think it's going to be really cool to look back and see where your mind was at when you were, were you 16 or 17? 16. 16. All right. Yeah. So uh, I'm interested in that, but um, I don't know. Do you want to share with the audience your perspective on how we met and the documentary of how it came to be? Yeah. So um, my school uh, had a film festival last April and I had to submit a five minute movie and I knew I wanted to do it because I'm like the film kid at my school. Um, but I, I didn't know why I wanted to do it on. And Eddie had popped up on my uh, YouTube recommended a couple times. And I, I forget which Only video I was watching. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I had known that uh, a lot of the content I had seen from him was very much based on the fact that it was Delco. Um, and that really interested me because as a kid from Delco, I always want to meet people who are involved in the film industry or any type of, um, like, videography um, from Delco, who are now in the position where they have an audience and whatnot. So, like, M. Night Shyamalan and Eddie, you know, are, are together, in my mind, right next to each other. Um, so I decided maybe I should do a documentary on him. Uh, so I I opened up Instagram, and I sent him a message saying, hey, I think I said, like, I think I told you where I went to school. Um, I said I was doing... No, that. no, you didn't tell me where you went oh, to no, school. Oh, no, no, no. No. I just said... So, from my perspective, I get, you know, occasionally I get... Um, you know, my channel's been a little stagnant lately, but when my channel was like really popping, I would get messages all the time of people like wanting to edit for me and, uh, you know, wanting to work with me, whatever it was. And a lot of the times it's people looking for a job, you know? And so when I got your message, I was like, all right, this is somebody he wants to, you know, kind of put together a little piece of work to kind of show what he can do and then maybe work with the channel, you Mm -hmm. know, at some point down the road. And you said you were in school, but I assumed that you were a senior in college, again, looking for a job after you graduate. So I'm like, all right, sure, why not? And it's weird because I get so many messages. It's like it's a shot in the bucket on whether or not I'm going to see the message or not. And for whatever reason, I just happen to have Instagram open when the message came through. That's like the that's like the highest percentage chance that I'll see the message, you know, because the banner comes down. Right. So I'm like, all right, I happen to see it and I happen to respond and whatever day you said, I happen to be free. So I was like, all right, why not? Let's do it. I was in a good mood for whatever it was. Right. 
<laughs> and then uh, I think it was the day of. Did so I like half that? an hour. So first off, I was surprised because I ran. I roamed the message saying, "Hey, um, I want to do this documentary on you." You responded in like just an hour. Me. You can just talk. All right. Me. Yeah, yeah. You responded in like an hour. You want to start that segment again in case you want to cut it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's whatever you Where want. Where do you want to start from? Um, just when you were like, well, first of all, I was surprised. First all right. of all, yeah. after half an hour or whatever. It was. All right. But yeah, let's just have a conversation, me. And you, okay. Yeah. yeah. And you can include this in here. <laughs> I mean, part of this is me learning what works with, uh, you know, this podcast. You know, I, like I, I got to be better with setting it up. And I know I prompted you to talk to the audience, but yeah, I know the yeah. people of America. Yeah, you um, know, all of them of the world of the world. <laughs> so you or no? So yeah, you respond like an hour after I said I want to make this documentary. Which really surprised me. Because I had no idea what I wanted to do it on. I just knew I wanted to be on you. Like, I didn't know what I wanted the theme to be, whatever. So I kind of panicked when you were responding. You are like, sure, what day do you want to do it? <laughs> this is great. And I kind of had to lightly say to you, like, I don't really have a plan yet. I just know, like, you're the centerpiece. Um, and I think we talked a little bit about, like, what would work best. Because I was kind of floating the idea of what it became, which was, you know, you're in a unique position where you're meeting all these different types of people. Um, and I think that's really interesting because you have all these different perspectives now. Um, and so the day that we were going to film, I think like an hour before you came, you said, uh, how old are you? I never asked you. So I'm sitting there and I'm like getting ready to come over and I'm like, wait a second. And I, I even read back through our messages because I'm like, wait a second. Did I just assume this kid was, you know, in college? And I was like, and I read back through our messages. I was like, he doesn't tell me how old he is at all like i just assumed and i was like dude what if this kid's in like you know high school or middle school or something <laughs> like that so i messaged you yeah and i said how old are you and then i remember i listed like all my accolades first yeah. i was like well i'll have you know yeah you know, i am the film kid at my school yeah. i've done this i've done that yeah. oh and by the way i'm 16 yeah. but that's not a big deal yeah and yeah i was like oh god if it wasn't so close to when i was supposed to come over i would have bailed but i was like that would be that wouldn't be right for me to do that. But I remember, because I used to teach, and, like, you know, this was something that's, like, it's common sense, but I even remember, um, like, the supervisor had to tell, like, it was part of our instruction where, like, don't ever be alone in a, in a room with a student with the door closed, you know? Right. And I'm, like, you know, I'm just, like, naturally, like, dude, I, because I, I, I forget where you said we were meeting, like whether your house or an office, office building. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I don't know where we're going and I'm not about to be alone with this child that I don't <laughs> know. Like I cannot, that's not a good look. And then you said it's your mom's office and you right. know, that, shout out to my mom because she drove me everywhere. I was making the documentary and helped me. She was like my, my, uh, right-hand man. She is this. an amazing woman. But I said, I was like, all right, your mom's going to be there the whole time. And you were like, yeah, I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> and then I was like, what have I gotten into? And I remember we shot the, the interview. Um, we shot, I think like an hour of footage and, um, probably more. Cause I would not stop talking. Yeah. A little bit more. Cause <laughs> then we went out to the car and we talked a little bit about whatever in the car. Um, and I remember, after we talked, we talked a little bit about how I wanted to maybe do more than just the five-minute short film, like, in the future. Like, I wanted to meet Dan um, and, and Jimmy, and, like, that was something that was kind of floating up in the air after we had met. So, so the first plot twist was that, all right, this kid's 16. So I'm thinking, <laughs> all right, this is going to be some, like, silly high school project. You know, he'll try his best, and it'll be for whatever. And then the second plot twist is you're like, yeah, 
I want to interview Delco Dan. I want to interview Jimmy. Can I have Muhammad's contact information? I'm like, dude, I, you know, Jimmy lives in Philly. Like, he's not, like, no, 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 it's fine. So that was the second process. I was like, man, he's really taking this serious. Yeah. And sure enough, you did all that. <laughs> yeah. So then I think over the, I think our like April or like first week of April, we met. And then I had had all the other interviews with, with Jimmy and Dan by like the end of April, beginning of May. And then it was just like, editing and editing because yeah. we i didn't have a script for this which is like i never made a documentary before yeah so i just kind of went out i had a rough idea of what i wanted the movie to be about and then i shot the interviews and just decided oh well like you know i'll figure it out when i'm when i'm editing it which definitely meant it took longer oh yeah but it was also kind of nice it was like very free i didn't like have to make any last minute changes because there were no nothing to change in the first place when i was editing it and it was great and just meeting Dan, um, I remember when I met Dan, I came with you to his lifting competition. Oh, that's right. To, to meet him, and I right. filmed something for him. Right. So I ended up doing some work for the gym, which was cool. So from my perspective, and this is like a lesson on like, this is just a lesson of like how to, I don't know what you want to call it, be an entrepreneur, like break into an industry, whatever it is, like... From my perspective, I felt like I was like, all right, I'll, you know, help this kid out, whatever it is. I'll do this documentary. But then when I'm like asking Dan and Jimmy to take part of their time, which is something you were always very respectful of, which I thought was very unique being that, you know, you're a high school kid that, you know, it's not something a lot of people understand until they're older and they're working and not just because they have busier lives, but because they understand like hey time is money essentially you know and you were always very respectful of time that said i kind of felt like i was like man this it's not a big ask but it's like a annoying ask you're like dan do you want to do this documentary for this kid that's about me and you're like jimmy do you want to do this you know and when i said his gym was putting on like a family fun day i was like hey man you know no pressure but if you shot some footage for them, I know they're always looking for content. I know they're not going to pay you, but it might lead to something in the future. Without hesitation, you were there with your mom, as you mentioned. Right. And you put together this awesome little reel. And I, I don't know, like, what else came of it. But, I like, to... I know you were, like, at that gym. Like, you became, like, part of that gym for a little bit, you know? So, it was a, it was a deadlift competition. And Dan was taking me around. It was so funny because I knew him from the videos and he's the exact same in person as he is in the videos. Yeah. So he's taking me around. He's going to everybody. He's like, this kid, this kid's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. And we've known each other for like half an hour. And he's like, this is the next Tarantino. <laughs> anyway, a lot of the people at the deadlifting competition came up to me and said, do you have any footage of what I did? Or, or they emailed, um, they sent me an Instagram message afterwards. Cause I posted on my Instagram account, the, the Delco strength shop, like yeah. real. And I said, yeah, let me look. And then if I did have enough footage, I was very honest with them. I, I, like I said, if I didn't have enough, like I don't want you to pay for something where it's like I don't have enough for you. Yeah. But I did have a lot um, for these people. So I ended up doing like two or three uh, different edits for people who um, just wanted like an individual highlight reel. It was great. That's really cool. Yeah. And you got a connection with Dan. You know, right. he was like, I don't. I don't think he did he did the interview after that and I know like you were working with him with other things. So basically I just thought it was really interesting and I you know, I don't know if you had an experience like that before. I don't know how you like knew to do that, but like, you know, a lot of people don't realize that like especially when you're doing something that everyone wants to do, you know, like there's no shortage of people that wanna work in film. Like you've mm-hmm. gotta be willing to like take a Saturday or Sunday, whatever it was, and like shoot for free and not know you know 
you you could have very well got no interest from anything. You know, you could have right. very well like not had a Delco Dan. It could have been like a a hole that's like this kid's. You know what I mean? Like never talked to you. You know yeah. what I mean? But like they're the risk you got to take. You got to be willing to do that. Like you know, a lot of people think put yourself out there is like you know, be willing to look stupid or like, you know, try and fail or whatever. But I think a lot of putting yourself out there is like doing things without guarantee of getting paid or without guarantee of like someone even being interested in your product. You know? And I think that's something that my mom instilled in me from when I was really young because I decided I wanted to make movies when I was like six. But it only became like a real... Of course you did. Yeah, it only became like a, a very real thing when I was like eight or nine. Oh, yeah, eight like, or nine, yeah. you, know, you know, when most filmmakers you know, start. Yeah, I was just, like, you know, messing around in my free time from, like, ages six to nine. But then my mom started to realize it was, like, a very real thing that I wanted. Yeah. And so she, like, she helped me a lot. She Everything you just said, she told me. Yeah. Um, from the time I was nine, like, she talked to me very much like an adult. And so part of that was, you know, I started doing a lot of acting. Well, not a lot, but, like, from time to time, acting in commercials or as an extra in movie just to get on set. And I remember I didn't really like it that much. I would be like, oh, this sucks. You know, I'm not an actor. I can't do this. And she would be like, well, you know, you're getting on set. You're meeting these people that could be people that could help you later yeah. in life. Like, I remember I did, um, I did a movie for Drexel, like a short film for their senior thesis. And that was like a very long, grueling shoot. But it was also nice because everyone that was working out was super nice. And I got to share with them how much I liked movies. So, like, you know, that's not something you see every day. Yeah. And that's, like, now a contact where, like, these are people that I know. Right. So even though I wasn't a really big fan of acting, she, like, she never pushed me to go to every single thing. Like, it was very much, do you want to do this? And I was like, yes. And then once I was there, you know, maybe get a little bit cranky because I was, like, 10. You know, we're shooting until <laughs> shoot 11 at night. Um, but she was like, you know, this is really good. And you got to make sure when you're out there, like, ask questions to the director. Yeah. Like, if you get a chance, ask anyone you can any questions. Like, show them, like, you're very interested in this. Yeah. And um, I was an extra in The Irishman, which was, like, the biggest, like, little thing I did because I got to sit um, not far from where Robert De Niro was. And I remember being there. What scene in The Irishman? Um, so I believe her name's Peggy. His daughter. His Yeah, his daughter. is doing a speech on Jimmy Hoffa um, about his trucking company for, like, her class. It's, oh, like, yeah. a career day type oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so I was in the back, and when we weren't filming, we were on the second floor of this, like, abandoned building or church or something. In Philly? Uh, no, in the Bronx. Oh, in, in no like way. Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, and so my mom was pushing me like, go, because I was very, I was asking her questions about like the set and whatnot. And she was like, well, why don't you go ask the AD that was in charge of all the extras like these questions. So I started talking to the AD and I'm like, I think I was 12 or 11 <laughs> and I'm asking all these crazy questions. So she took me outside. She was like, don't tell anyone. Because all the parents were there, were like, oh my god, my kid's in a Martin Scorsese movie. Right. But then I was the kid who was like, oh my god, I'm in a Martin Scorsese movie. Right. Um, so she took me outside, and I got to see how they lit, like, the whole thing. Because we were shooting at 10 p.m. at night, but it was supposed to be, like, It was daytime. Noon. I know right. the scene, yeah. Yes. I can see it, and I... That's crazy that it was shot at 10 at night. Yeah, so she took me around the set, and I got to see all the different parts. And I was so close to me, Martin Scorsese. But he was in the editing, like, the little village, watching something back. Because she tried to get me back there, but he was busy. Oh, yeah. But just little things like that, like yeah. getting on set and talking to the people. and Yeah. Yeah. And even that, like even, you know, just being 12 years old, you said? Yeah. Like being 12 years old and knowing that shooting a daytime classroom scene at 10 at night is, you know, not far-fetched. You know what I mean? Like just knowing that they can do that. You know yeah. what I mean? Like little things like that is, is pretty cool. Man, that's amazing. And then I think when I got older, um, 
my mom really pushed me to to take every opportunity and not be afraid to like kind of what I did with you like reach out to people even yeah. though I'm only like 16 or whatnot like like you never something she told me a lot was they don't really care how old you are or whatever as long as you like have a good story or yeah. whatever so I started writing screenplays um, and she would push me like, well, why don't you email it to this? You mean person have a good story as far as have like, a good like screenplay? A, yeah, like a screenplay. You're not like a good backstory. No, no, yeah, like yeah, a yeah, good yeah, screenplay. Yeah. So she would really push me like, well, why don't you try and like email it to this person or whatnot? And like you know, you swing and miss a lot, but at the same time, like yeah. that's experience yeah. and it's great. And I've met people like you. Know, I've met so many people, and I'm already like being able to build like a network, which is very nice, um, and, and like a very cool thing considering yeah. like I've been doing it kind of all on my own like obviously my mom has been like helping me with it but it's also like i'm the one that sends the email i'm the one that like initiates it like i speak yeah. for myself basically yeah and it's great yeah i think it's good your mom said it because i've picked up on that too like when you're talking you've told me stories where you're like i'm just a 16 year old kid or you know whatever it was and i want to be like dude okay you are but nobody cares about that. You know what I mean? Like as long as you have something that can help someone else, nobody cares how old you are. As long as you have a good product or good talent or skill that is providing them something they want, you know, nobody, nobody really cares, you know, as long as it doesn't involve them being in a room alone with you when they don't know you. <laughs> yeah. I just think I've been raised in very much an environment where it's like, we'll start chasing your dream like now. Yeah. Because especially how competitive this like industry is. Oh yeah. I think when I was younger, I just assumed, okay, well I'll go to college for film and you know, I'll do like, that's how I'll start. Yeah. And I just decided like, you know, I won't do anything till then. But it's like in an industry this competitive, like you got to start as soon as you can. So if yeah. I can start like at this age and really try and build it, like I'll be way ahead of the curve like as if as like opposed to if i just wait till college like start getting into everything yeah so i've been taught very much like go after like don't worry about your age just go for it yeah which is great but even like um you know not just being ahead of the curve in that specific industry i'm telling you that mindset it's not something i learned until i was older i'm actually reading a book it's called limbo it's about um it's about like the different mentality of I don't know if you're interested in this stuff. You are. You're a yeah. filmmaker. You definitely are. Um, you know, but I, I don't want to sound like school when you're not in school, you know? That's another thing I want to ask you about, but we'll get All there. Right. But um, but it's, it's talking about, like, the different mentalities of the culture and of, like, the classes you're in, like, the class culture. And something about, like, a blue-collar mindset is very transactional. And it's not something I learned until I was older because it's like, you know, I, I worked at P.F. Chang's and... Uh, the the bar I would I would clean up there because the bartenders wouldn't want to take out their trash or they wouldn't want to do the mats and at the end of the night they would offer me an amount of money to do it you know mm -hmm. and it's that's where it started you know it's like hey I'll give you forty bucks if you take the mats out for me right where you know and again this doesn't necessarily apply to you know a restaurant industry but it's like if I just did that for free to begin with and then they see me and they're like they, then they give me, you know, then maybe I'd be a bartender, whatever it is, you know, the, the analogy doesn't necessarily play out, but the point to have that mindset where you're working for free to start with, I feel like a lot of people, I heard a story recently, Jonah Hill took a huge pay cut. He like worked at the minimum he was allowed to from the actors union or something mm -hmm. to be in Wolf of Wall Street right, because yeah. he wanted to work with Scorsese, you know? And I feel like a lot of people think like, okay, now that he's at that point, he can afford 
to do Wolf of Wall Street for $60,000, which is, I think, is what he got paid. I'm like, you know, I guarantee you that he had that mindset when he started when he was a teenager. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Of course, that stage, Martin Scorsese, that's a no-brainer. I feel like anybody would know (laughs) to do that. But I feel like that's a mindset that a lot of people who are successful have going into it before, you know, they really see what, before that success is tangible, before the result is tangible. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So that's really cool you're doing that. That said, had I known the result that would come about with the documentary, I'll be honest, I probably wouldn't have done it. Okay. So, and I remember thinking that um, because to go back to the documentary, the next step or the next part of this process, you finished it, right? Mm -hmm. And what did you want to do? I wanted to show it in a theater. In a theater, right? (laughs) You said you wanted your grandparents, which I respected. I actually love that. That, you know, that pulled on my heartstrings. You wanted your grandparents to know that you had your movie in a theater. Movie in a theater, right? So... You invite me there. I'm like iffy on whether or not I want to go. So I said, well, why don't I bring the movie to your house? And yeah. we'll sit in the living room and we'll watch it. So yeah. you can see like what's going to be on screen. Right. And I watched it. Um, and that was uncomfortable, but it was better <laughs> than like other people around. But then, uh, yeah. So we go up there and, you know, you rented a theater out or you had access to a theater somehow. You had like 50 some people come out. Or yeah, so? like 50, 60. Yeah. Right. And, uh, there I, there was the driving Delco documentary, and uh, I came out, Dan came out. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy Muhammad, yeah, it. but um, I remember like you were so nervous. I remember, and like at the end, you like you said, like there's going to be a QA at the end or something, and I think you called me and Dan down, and then you said like two words, you were like, okay, that was it. Now, uh, Ed's going to say something. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, whoa, put me on the spot. And I don't know if I said it, but I was definitely thinking that. I was like, dude, if I'd known it would have been this big and I'd be up here, like, talking to you people, I would not have done this, you know? <laughs> um, so it, it's pretty amazing that uh, it, it's just, like, it was the most unexpected thing that this 16-year-old kid would end up renting a theater and, you know, putting this documentary out. And it was really nice because... Um, Everyone that came out was really supportive of it. But there was one person that talked to my mom afterwards and, and my dad afterwards and said, you know, I, I came out tonight because it's a little bit of a drive. It was in Phoenixville. So that's yep. like 45 minute drive. Yeah. It's not Delco. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> he went to see them and he said, you know, I came out tonight because like we're really good friends. And I thought, you know, I'm doing my friend a favor by going to see their, their child's film. And I just expected it to be like a little, like, you know, what do you expect from like a 15, 16 year old? And he said, but I absolutely loved it. Like that was a lot better than I was expecting that. Like, that's truly amazing. That was like the biggest compliment. Yeah. I could was get. that, um, was that Bob that said that? I'm not sure. I think it was so. And I, I, I might be, I'm pretty sure his name was Bob. Um, it's been a while. I feel terrible if I'm, if I'm forgetting his name, but he, so one of your, I think, mom's friends is the godfather of Shane Burkhall. I don't know any of these people. So well, it's just crazy. So okay. all right, this will be a little tangent, but Shane Burkhall has the same condition Jimmy has. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And he's uh, squirming grubs on YouTube. I think they just, yeah, they just passed a million subscribers on oh, YouTube. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And he has the same condition as Jimmy has. And like we, me and Jimmy have always, we never met him. I don't know if Jimmy's ever messaged him, but we always talked about him because he wrote a book. Um, he's a really interesting guy, but he's from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. They live in, I think, Michigan or Wisconsin now. Um, but, like, talk about a small world, man. Like, having that connection and, like, 
him seeing Jimmy in the video or yeah. in the documentary. I mean, I just thought that was pretty interesting. Um, but I, I, he said something in a similar vein of, of that. Like, that was really good. Like, he was impressed. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I wanted... So, let, let me hear, like, your thoughts on after showing that documentary and hearing that comment. Like, what, like, what did you feel like after that? I felt really good, but it was also very much... And I mean, I, even though this is on a very small scale, I think it's also something that happens in Hollywood a lot. It was like, as soon as I left the theater, I was like, okay, what's next? Yeah. Like someone was like, so, so what's the next move? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know. And I was also very anxious because I was submitting it to film festival. Like I was submitting it to the Small Castle Film mm-hmm. Festival, which was like the biggest thing that like, that was like the end all be all for it. And I didn't Because you are in. a huge fan of I am Clerks a huge Kevin Smith fan. Everything that comes with it. Yeah. I love <laughs> Kevin Smith. I love Clerks. That's probably my number one favorite movie of all time. Um, and I met him at, um, like a Philadelphia Comic-Con and told him, like, I'm submitting something to your film festival, like this movie about this Uber driver. Um, and so that, so first it was kind of just like, well, let's see if we get in. And we didn't get in, but it, like, I was a little bit upset, but at the same time, you know, I, I sat down and I thought to myself, like, you know, I met you, I met Dan, like all these great people are now in my life because I made this movie. So, like, you know, I, I definitely, I, I didn't break even. Like, I definitely prospered very yeah, much from yeah. this, even though I didn't um, accomplish my end goal, which was get into this film festival. And I think, I think, like, right afterwards, I just decided, okay, I'm taking a break. Like, I, I don't, I can't, because yeah. I spent so much time editing that. Just, I would go to work. Um, I had a summer job as a busboy. So I would go to work, get off at, like, 10, and then come home and edit for, like, an hour, hour and a half. Uh, for like one minute, not even uh, of stuff, which is like, you know, that becomes grueling. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm constantly hearing my computer fan overdrive and oh, everything's yeah. starting oh, to yeah. lag because it's this big file. Uh-huh. And that became like a little bit grueling. So I think I just wanted to take a break initially. And I kind of retreated more into just screenwriting strictly, um, which I'm only just like now coming out of, like thinking about other things I want to film and just having finished another short film. So I definitely spent a lot of time um, just working on writing like in particular yeah yeah so you gotta feel you oh i mean i know you're a huge fan of kevin smith and i know but but even aside from that like you're always talking about film festivals and for somebody who basically my question is like what is the appeal of film festivals like why are film festivals so important in this day and age you know because like i'm I'm of the approach where it's like, you got the internet, you know, like you can already find an audience. Right. You know, so like, why, why do you focus so much on film festivals? I think, well, obviously in the time of, of clerks in like the, the mid 1990s, film festivals were all the rage. Cause that's like the only way that you can meet people. Right, right, right. Like you go out there, you get into Sundance, there's bound to be like, you know, network executives there. You meet whoever. Right. Um, and then in the modern, like currently that's not as like, it's still nice to go out there because you can meet all these people still. Yeah. But also there's examples like, do you know the movie Shazam? It's the DC movie. It's like the, the superhero. I know Kazam was Shaq. <laughs> yeah, no, not Kazam. <laughs> so Shazam is like this big DC movie. And the guy that directed it got his start making short films on YouTube. And someone, I guess, at Universal, I forget who produced the movie, but there was a movie in 2016 called Lights Out. And it was like this horror movie. They saw this two-minute short film he did um, called Lights Out, and they loved it. And from there, he got he turned it into a feature film. Like they reached out to him, 
and now he's directing, you know, these big, like, industry movies. Right. So, like, he got his start on YouTube, which is, like, right. something that right. obviously is very, like, fresh. So, I guess, for me, personally, the... I didn't really think about this. That's a really good question, but... It's interesting, because... And it's so funny, because I feel like our roles are flipped. Like, it would make sense if I'm sitting there saying, like, I when I was growing up, in the 90s, film <laughs> festivals were it. And you're, you know, yeah. it makes more sense to be like, Ed, you're old. You're a dinosaur. Like, <laughs> dude, get on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just, I think I was excited to go to film festivals, mainly just, like, actually meeting the people. Yeah. And, like, knowing, like, Kevin Smith was going to be there, and obviously I wanted to talk to him because... I understand that, but even more so, like, I know... Um, you, you could have gone regardless, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you could have gone as yeah. the patron or, I don't know, whatever you call right. it. Attendee. Um, but not even that. Like, there's other film festivals I know you talk about, and I know you put so much stock in film festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess I'm just curious why. But is, is part of it, like, um, the approval of peers rather than, you know, reception from an audience? Because no. there's a difference. No, because, like, I don't... I'm not really concerned with ever, like, winning any awards. Like, I, I don't feel the need to, like, I can die the day I win an Oscar. Like, yeah. I don't need an Oscar. Like, I don't really believe in all of that stuff because, like, you know, everybody, like, all those judges and everything, like, they have their personal likes and dislikes. So just because they didn't like your movie doesn't mean it's bad. And on top of that, sorry to interrupt you, but, like... I remember how disappointed you were with Smog Castle. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I told this to your mom. If if I was an Uber driver, and where's where's the county that Clerks takes place? Oh, like in Leonardo, New Jersey? Yeah. Right. If I was an Uber driver in Leonardo, New Jersey, and you did that, 100% I'm, we're getting in Smog. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, so much of this has to do with exactly what you're saying. Like, not just the artist's personal or the board's personal likes, but, like, how it fits into the branding of right this specific festival, you know? I, I get, The way I see it is that if I put on YouTube, which I did, um, like, yes, people are going to see it and people like it and, like, it could go viral. But, you know, if I, I, I should still shoot for the film festivals because if it gets into one of those, like, and I go out there, like, it, it's very likely I'm going to meet, like, other, like, film directors or, like, other people that I can collaborate with, like, yeah. right off the bat, basically. Whereas with YouTube, like, you know... You can't, yeah, Like, yeah. the, you know, everyday people who, like, aren't in that industry are gonna see it a lot more than, like, this one dude. And even if he does, he might just say, oh, I like it. And, right. And that's and that. that's it, yeah, yeah. Right. Like, are you hoping to get funding for, like, another project or just kind of network? Like- so, I think what I'm really interested in right now, and I kind of touched on uh, earlier, is screenwriting. Like, that's something that I, I focused a lot on. Um, and so I think that by going out to those festivals, I would love to... To meet these people and say to them like hey i have a script because i wrote a script um which is like basically finished and i'm starting to work on another one so i it, like basically what i would love is to go out there and meet these people and make those contacts but also say like you know i have a screenplay that yeah. i wrote and like you know i would love if you could look at it yeah or whatnot yeah <laughs> what's the screenplay about well i don't think i can say because oh, you know <laughs> the people of america might take my idea <laughs> so you know I got to keep it under wraps. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I, re- I respect that. I understand that. What genre is it? It's a drama. Gotcha. It's a drama. I, I guess the way I would do... De- I don't really know how to describe it. Um, but it, it's going to sound like kind of weird, but I guess the movie that inspired it the most is Boogie Nights, even though it has nothing to do with Boogie Nights. <laughs> because 
like, I guess the it's kind of, like, about, like, a really messed up, like, family. So, like, it's a family that's together, but they're also, like, kind of messed up. They're in this messed up situation. But I, like, when I wrote the first draft, like, I watched Boogie Nights a lot while I was, like, writing it, even though it has nothing really to do. But it was kind of, like, in that, like, sense. At what age, like, did you run into a lot of, uh parental restrictions okay growing up so i gotta ask that all right so i like, would not have been allowed to watch boogie nights well was, and for those of you who don't know because this kid has a you're one of the few people who has the movie uh library mental library that i do um that i know you know that you know same mm-hmm. probably more well weirder definitely weirder i think i've seen more <laughs> movies but you've seen more weird movies um but yeah, like I Boogie Nights for those that don't know, uh, I think it was Mark Wahlberg's breakout film. Yeah, he was and, no longer Marky Mark after. Yeah, Boogie and Nights. Uh, what's it called? Uh, John C. Riley's in that, yes. which surprised me when I saw that. But anyway, uh, it's basically about the the porno industry in what the seventies, seventies, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's very graphic, right? <laughs> well, so my parents don't like that movie. They saw it probably when it came out, if if, if they've seen it, and they're, so they're not necessarily i don't think happy that i saw it yeah but it's also like i didn't go into like when i watch movies i don't go into them like oh my god i'm gonna see something crazy right right, right. like so like i didn't go into boogie nights being like oh my god it's about pornos like i went into it like paul thomas anderson is a director i like because he made heart eight he made magnolia he's a great director like you know i want to watch this film because like the main reason i want to watch it was just like he was 26 when he directed that it's two and a half hours long the cinematography is insane in the whole movie. Like, it's constantly moving, constantly whip panning. And there's, like, eight different stories that he's following. So when I went into watching it, it was like, well, I want to see how he was able to tie all these stories together, like, with a nice little bow. Like, that's crazy. So I think, especially when I was younger, like, 12, I remember I gave a speech at my school about filmmaking. And when I was younger, there were a lot of movies um, I could not watch, but... Um, I would research them still. So, like, I would watch the behind-the-scenes of, like, one of the most notable was, like, Pulp Fiction. Like, I didn't watch Pulp Fiction until I was, like, 13, 14. But I had known about it since I was, like, 11 or 12 because I would watch, like, you know, the behind-the-scenes footage or, like, you know, interviews with Quentin Tarantino about it because that's, like, a very important film, like, in the grand scheme of how film is what it is today. Yeah. But, like, I couldn't watch it. So, like, I... Those... To get... Like, not to get around those parental restrictions... But, like, because my parents are very good parents and they're like, I don't want you watching Pulp Fiction when yeah. you're 12. Like, I would just try and learn as much as I could about them through interviews and whatnot. Um, but then, yeah, so, but as I've gotten older, it, it's kind of become more just like, you know, I, I'm not going out to see certain movies. And there's su- still some movies that, like, I will not watch, like, just because I don't want to see, like, certain things. Like, like you what? Know. Um, there was... Like, a movie that came out recently, I don't know what it was called, but it was kind of like Boogie Nights, but I was like, That's, this is a little bit far for, for me. Um, like, yeah, so there's certain movies where it's just like, you know, I, like, I'm still 16, like, I, I don't even feel good watching yeah. certain things. <laughs> um, you know, but, like, I go into, yeah, like, you know, <laughs> um, but there's a lot of movies that I watch that, like, I watch solely for, like, the filmmaking purpose. Like, I'm not going out just because yeah. it's, like, you know, oh, my God, I want to see this terribly gross, disgusting thing. Like, that's not how I view it. Yeah. Yeah. 
What do you think, this is something I think about a lot, what do you think is the value of showing graphic, you know what I mean, like gore, like nudity, like, you know, just extreme, what, like, when do you draw the line, you know, I, I feel like the most common example is, like, sexual scenes, I think, are so superfluous in so many movies, I and agree. I'm like, I don't need to watch this, you I know? agree, yeah, no, I, so, like, you know, kind of going back to Boogie Nights, like, yeah, Boogie Nights is, like, a good film, but, like, do I think it needed everything that it had in it? Absolutely not. Did Mark Wahlberg need to stand up at the end of that movie and, like, show what he shows? Absolutely not. So, like, me personally, like, I, like, I don't think, you know, like, you don't need nudity to, like, for the film to be good or whatever. It's also kind of gratuitous at a certain point. And then it kind of makes you wonder, like, is the scene more powerful if you just don't show anything at all, but it's implied? Yeah. Like, I think that's something that is, like, like that's something I think about. Like, is it better to just imply it as opposed to actually showing it? Because sometimes what you don't see is better than what you do see, yeah. almost. So I think, I mean, with violence, like, Quentin Tarantino's, like, all of his violence, like, I don't really have a problem with that. Um, but, like, definitely with more, like, sexual stuff, like, it, it's like, oh, what are we doing here like is this really necessary yeah no it's not i think i'm i'm curious to see how it goes because on one hand i think people are you know people are i don't know what the word is like impulsive like simple you know like i think people the average person you know the average person chooses to eat a donut rather than vegetable you know mm -hmm. what i mean what I'm getting at is a uh, long way of saying is like, even it, like, I think part of Boogie Nights was that that wasn't as common. You didn't see that at that time when that movie was made. Same with Tarantino. Like it was more violent than other ones, you know? And, uh, you know, who's, uh, with Michael Bay with his explosions and stuff, mm -hmm. you know, he, it was bigger and more, uh, I don't want to say graphic, but like visually pleasing than other ones. But like this day and age, like, I just feel like things are so, you know, you, the, the the commercials you see on TV are more graphic than the movies were in the 80s. You well, know it's also I mean? like, you know, you can walk into a movie theater and, like, now you're allowed to say certain things in, like, trailers that you weren't allowed to say in the past. Like, you can, like, curse in trailers and yeah, whatnot. Right, right. So, it's like, you know, I went to see um, a movie a couple weeks ago and they played the new Magic Mike movie trailer. Like, they full-on show, like, a lap dance in that trailer. And it's like, oh, yeah. this is like the trailer. <laughs> yeah. Like, if I don't want to see it, yeah, I'm right. not supposed to see it. Right, right, right. So why is this in the trailer? Like, right. I think that that's ridiculous. And I think trailers are also suffering now because they give away the movie so much. Yeah. Like, you basically know what's going to happen. See, I actually, I forget who I was talking to about that, but my, my thing with that is, I think this day and age, dude, the content, there's so much content consumption i think everybody already knows the story you know mm -hmm. like and i almost feel like people watch movies or watch anything down to a 15 second tiktok for the experience more so than like knowing like being surprised like i think the surprise just doesn't happen anymore like i mean i forget who said it it might have been david mamet but i don't think it was it might have been him though there's only seven stories Someone said there's only, like, seven stories that you can tell. Right. It's just, like, you know, what do you inject into it that, like, makes it different? Right, right. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I'm just curious, like, if you get to a point where, 
like he's like there's no shortage of you know sexual images on commercials you know so it's like i don't want to spend however i don't want to spend two hours watching a movie you know and seeing some actress do a scene yeah because it's like i just tell me a story you know what i mean like well it's also like especially with how the world is now like there's so many depressing movies that are coming out like you you want to go to the movies to see something like fun and lighthearted. yeah but you know there hasn't been a movie like caddyshack or like Super Troopers, yeah. That that's come out like in in, in recent time, really. Um, there like there's all these movies that are like pretty like depressing. Um, so it's like, where are you going to the theater for? Like, you're not escaping anything, right? Yeah. Now, I wonder how much of that. And this is a question. You know, you're going to have to represent an entire generation. You oh, know, because okay. that's that's what people do. You know, like yeah, you know, the entire generation under the age of twenty is definitely represented by you accurately. You know. <laughs> um, do you think like if you're making a comedy, which I do know you've messed around with, I'm writing a script before. right now yeah. with the comedy. Yeah. Like being, I feel like a lot of people. I was uh, listening to Robert Downey Jr. talk about um, Tropic Thunder, and you know, his right? Character yeah, on Joe who, Rogan, uh, I think. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, he couldn't do that now. He mm-hmm. couldn't be a white actor acting as somebody who became a black actor, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, do you think part of the reason there's not another Caddyshack or not another lighthearted thing is because people are just so scared to make comedy? I think... Like that? Yeah, I I think that is, like, a a big um, factor in it. But, I mean, also, like, look at South Park. Like, South Park's still going strong since 27th season. Yeah, but, see, my argument with that would be that they they were there before the world changed. Before the world got woke and... Two, they're still making money. Right, well, you, you know what I mean? You also have to look at, like, you know, like, John Landis, who directed, like, Animal House, is still alive. He just doesn't do that. So, like, you know, these people, like, those people are still around. The only person that I think is really interesting is Mel Brooks. Like, he did Blazing Saddles in those movies. He, like, now is a very big, like, you know, you can't do any of the, those what? things. Yeah, like, he's very big. Really? Yeah, he's very big on, like, you know, you can't do all this stuff. When it's like, you, you made Blazing Saddles. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't think they even play that on TV anymore. Right, right. <laughs> I think the the thing with South Park, though, which I think is really interesting, and I saw in a YouTube comment um, on something, is that they, they aren't, like... The reason I th- that person, and I agree, get, thinks they get away with it is because they're not stereotyping people to make fun of them. They're making fun of how extreme we view certain stereotypes. Yeah, I'd like that. So, like, there's certain characters in South Park where, like, you're laughing at them because you're thinking, oh, my God, these stereotypes are ridiculous. But it's really, South Park's always pointing the finger at you and being like, this is, like, us. This is, like, America. So that's why I think South Park, like, still survives. Is like, it's not, like, yes, it's an offensive show, but it's almost, like... Targeting the fact that, like you know, we're the people that made it offensive. Yeah, if that makes sense. Like, that's I don't a know. really interesting. Um, that's an interesting observation. But I think like you could make Caddyshack today. Like Caddyshack, I it's just like a, like a, a good. I think that's pretty lighthearted. I don't remember anything in Caddyshack that was like, oh my god. And so it's like you can make like Animal House. To, actually, no, you couldn't. You couldn't make Animal House today. I take that back. Oh, you definitely couldn't make Animal House. No, but, like, you could make Caddyshack. I think a movie that you would struggle to make is, like, Airplane. You know what I mean? Like, Airplane is, like, a movie that I I don't think would survive today. So it's, like, a very, like, 
it, it, it's very like all over the place. Like a lot of the uh, the uh, Gene Wilder and um, oh, I forget his name. Very, I forget his name, but they used to do like buddy comedies together. Gene Wilder and this this other. Oh, guy. Richard Pryor. Yeah, Richard Pryor. Yeah, you can make any of those movies today. They would be like terrible, but those movies, I feel like, I don't know. I I think there's they're just like blatantly offensive in in certain things, but it's also like you gotta like I don't know. It's very difficult because it's like, like yes, they're offensive, but it's it's also like where does it become like? But is it terrible if they're not just pointing the finger at one group like they're 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 making fun of everybody see that i mean i I like that uh yeah i like that i think um i think it and this might sound cynical but i think it just all comes down to money you know and i think you can't make those kind of movies and put them in film festivals or i don't think netflix is going to take the risk on it but i think you can make that uh Thing and put it on YouTube. Well, maybe not YouTube anymore. You can put it on Rumble. <laughs> you know, you can put it on your own website or something. And and I do believe that a lot of people would like that. You know, like mm-hmm. a lot of people still laugh at. But basically, I, it just drives me crazy. This whole like I, I really believe this whole like woke. I think everything comes in waves, and this whole like being offended by comedy, it's gonna have to change because there's no way it lasts. You know. Right. And I do think. Someone's gonna make a funny movie, and people are gonna laugh at. Well, there's still like there are certain people. So like Seth Rogen is a great example. Like he's still very much making movies where it's like like he made that movie Good Boys recently, like 2019, 2020. What was that about? It was about these three boys, and if I'm remembering it correctly, they like they get a hold of like um, a a teenager's backpack that's full of like Molly. And they're I like, kind of remember that, yeah. And they're running around with it, and there was, like, some pretty crazy things in that movie. So, like, that's a movie, like, that was still heavily, like, largely marketed, whatever. Netflix just came out with um, a movie called You People with Eddie Murphy and Jonah yeah. Hill. And I started watching that, and that's definitely, like, you know, Netflix was definitely taking, like, some sort of reach with it. Like, they were, they were, you know. See, but see, that, like, think about those other movies you talked about, like Blazing Saddles or, or, um. The one with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor when they're uh, blind and deaf. Death, right, yeah. What's that called? Eyes, what? Uh, see, no, hear, and eat. I forget. But it I know has what something you're to do about. with seeing it. Um, right. But anyway, it's like, I don't know. There it's also was, just a different generation. There though. was a few scenes in You People that cracked me up, but like, I felt like there were parts where I'm like, all right, you're like being a little preachy here, you know, like, yeah, and no. I feel like you, they, you, you can't make a comedy and just like, le- like, that's the thing about South Park. South Park never feels like I'm being preached at, you know? Mm-hmm. And like South Park respects the audience enough to be like, Hey, you know, these are the stereotypes we're laughing at, you know? But like, you can also make a great comedy without being offensive at all. Like Beverly Hills Cop, I think is a great example. Yeah. 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 Like I, that movie's just flat out fun. I agree. Um, like you don't need to be offensive to like you know. Oh no, be I, funny. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I just I don't know. It's it's interesting, man. It's interesting where comedy is, and I feel like everyone's kind of sick of it. But there's like this invisible they of like they you can't say that they said you can't say that. Like who is they? You know, like mm-hmm. this small Twitter minority. I don't know. I I just think eventually it uh you know maybe maybe. Maybe in my 40s, I'll nut up and just write the kind of comedy that me and my friends still joke about in the living room. Well, and it's like, like, you know, as someone who's 16, like, still in high school, like, 
no one's really changed. Like, the things that still, like, some people say, like, you know, no one in my gen, like, at least in my group of people are, like, necessarily, like, watching those movies and being like, that is so offensive. I can't believe, like, like, yeah. they say some crazy stuff. So it's definitely not, like, you know, our, our my whole generation is, like, very, like, woke. Yeah. Or whatnot. So That's yeah. good to hear. And that's what I was getting at. Like, I just wondered, like, the temperament of, like, what kids think, you know? Well, it's also, like, you know, I can't, I don't think I'm terribly good to, to, great to speak on that. Because, like, you know, I don't represent every single one of those communities that could be, like, you know. Right, and that's, I guess that's where I wonder, because, you know, you, one of my biggest, like, I call it, like, you know, research and development. Like, I'll read the comment section of, you know, videos, and, like, we're very sectioned off, you know? So if you find a woke video, all the comments will agree with it. But then if you see um, a video of somebody, like, critiquing the woke video, all the comments will agree with that, you know? And I feel like they're, the crazy majority of people don't get as offended as the people who are offended get. I mean, everyone's entitled to their own opinion, and if yeah. someone thinks it's offensive and they're a part of that demographic, like, more power to them for speaking up about it if they yeah. think that way. You know, I mean, I, I'm in no place to say, like, you know, you're... You're wrong. Crazy times, man. Um, but, oh, so back to the documentary. This mm -hmm. is something that I've wanted to ask you. Okay. Um, so I, for, I, I hope, I don't know if you understand like how, um, I think maybe you'll understand one day, like it was a very weird position for me, like a documentary about me, um, and like watching it and like, Especially, I think a big part of it is, like, I'm not exactly where I want to be um, in my career right now. You know, I still want to grow. I still want to do more. And, like, I don't know, just being a part of it, I was like, uh, you know, it, it, that's another reason where I didn't, I, I probably would have said no had I known how well you would have done with it and how much, how dedicated you would have been with it. Um, that said, watching it, I wasn't, um, I wasn't, uh, I thought you did a good job. You know, I thought you, um, uh, you know, there's obviously critiques I have just as somebody, an audience member. Mm -hmm. And I, I was curious on if you would, you know, if you would want me to share that on my channel. And I think the only reason I would be willing to share that on my channel is to be like, dude, this 16 year old kid came up with this. I'll watch it with you guys. It's uncomfortable for me. Um, but kind of, like, critique it as I go. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I would enjoy um, that. And, I mean, like, you know, you could watch either the 45-minute cut or now the half-hour cut. Well, speaking might... to how, you know, woke your generation right, might be, I don't know how, you know, if I'm a little harsh on my criticism, I don't want you to, you well, know, I be think, like... I think at that point you're reading too far into it, to be honest. What do you mean? Well, it's like, you know, if you're sitting there, like, you know, oh my God, is my audience going to like attack me because I commented on a 16-year-old's piece of work? Oh, no, no, no. Not me worrying about my audience. I'm uh, worried about you like thinking, you know, being like, you know, having your work critiqued. No, I don't mind. I, and I think that's great because like, you know, that's like... Basically, I don't I know how thick your skin is as a creator, you know? I would say it's relatively thick because I'm very confident. Like, you know, I admit when I'm wrong or when I don't think something turned out great, but I'm yeah. also very like... Like, I stand my ground if I'm, like, you know, this is what, like, I wanted it to be, and, and that's what it is. Like, that's cool. So, like, yeah. yeah, I like, I'm very I'm very open to criticism because I obviously need to be. Yeah. But it's also, you know, if I, I 
just because an adult said something about my film doesn't mean I go and change it. Like, you know, I'm very strong and like, you know, well, no, this is how I wanted it to be. Yeah. If that makes sense. Now, there was, you did mention you had to cut 15 minutes. It's a 45-minute right. film. 45-minute movie. And you had to cut 15 minutes. To get into a certain festival. Festival, right. How, how'd you go about that? So, I, I narrowed down the story a lot. Um, I focused, one very big uh critique that I got was like you know every like people are interested in you as a content creator um and like that's because that's what you're known for so maybe focus in more in more on that um and at the time that I got that piece of information like I, I was very open to that but I couldn't find the time to like sit down and do it um because I did want to to do that and then this film festival came along and it was like a blessing in disguise and so I got that I got to sit down. So a lot of what I cut had to do with like how you went around, like about like writing the book, like for mm -hmm. the main. Like I really, yeah. I, I very much focused on okay, you know, you grew up in Delco, you liked writing, and then you know, you wrote a book. That's about as far as it goes, and that's like okay, this is who he is as a content creator. So I focused yeah. in the the movie a lot more on like your experiences in the car. As opposed gotcha. to, like, your entire, like, life story, if right, that makes right. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, gotcha. so that's what I did to cut it down. I'm interested, because I, uh, part of my watching it, I think, and I don't know if you felt this, too, and again, like, this could go back to being that it was your, you know, first documentary, you didn't have an outline. I thought, like, the story kind of went all over the place, you yeah. know? Like, Dan came in, Jimmy came in, Muhammad came in, and it was just kind of, like, so uh, I'm I'm curious on how the editing process, if that changed at all. And I think that was because I was, like, trying to grapple with, like, a lot of themes at one time. Like, there was a lot of different things I wanted to say. Yeah. Um, but, like, I, I wasn't – so, like, I was very inconsistent with, like, how it was going. But the way that I basically structured it now is that it focuses a lot more on just you and Dan. Gotcha. Because, like, you're the two dudes, like, in the car. And, right. like, Muhammad's very much still, like, in it. So I focused a lot more on, like, you in the car, if that makes sense, yeah, yeah. and, like, your experiences yeah. in the car. That's how I cut it down. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll do that. I was like, I was like, the only way I share this is if I, you know, watch it with my audience. I just, I don't want to. I would wanna, love that. I didn't want to upset, uh, you know, I didn't want to upset the, the filmmaker. Oh, no, no, no. No, uh, I would love that. That'd be great. So what do you think? About time to uh, eat a cheesesteak? That sounds good. So sounds it's great. funny. When I reached out to you to do this, you said you had a track meet later, right? Yes. And again, to speak to our age difference. I was like, right away, I was like, oh, well, he has a track meet later today. There's no way he can eat a cheesesteak the day of a track meet. Because, like, for me, I, like, I play basketball Tuesday, Thursday. So, like, what I eat from noon on Monday and Wednesday, I'm, like, conscious of. Because uh -huh. I'm, like, I cannot, like, I need to have my stomach settled because I play Tuesday morning. So, I was, like, I need, like, a good... 16 hours before 5 a.m. Tuesday morning to have, like, my body start working properly. Well, I saw this as my civic duty to come on the Cheesesteaks oh, Whip podcast. But, so, well, like, you know. even so, like, I'm telling you, you're, uh, you know, I bet you get this, uh, get this reference. Uh, you know, I eat a, I eat a cheese, I eat, what's he say? I eat a cheeseburger and my ass jiggles for a week. What? I don't know that one. Oh, come on, Big Daddy. Oh, no. So, uh, so you haven't seen Big Daddy? I have, but like a very long time ago. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, basically, it's like, actually, uh, Kobe Bryant. You know who Kobe Bryant is? Of course. That's oh, yeah. Um, I remember he gave an interview saying the night he scored 80 points, he had like 
three pieces of pizza, a couple burgers from Burger King, fries, whatever it was. And now he's older. His like diet's like strictly every day before a game. It's like, uh, you know, six ounce piece of chicken, asparagus, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. It's just like the f- long story long. The fact that you can eat a cheesesteak and run a track meet reminds me of a time of my life that is so far long gone and it makes me jealous. I, hey, I mean, you know, you can always try. Are you, you going to try again? Yeah. Are you going to, uh, no, wait, dude. I'm like, all right, I got to go to the gym today. So if I eat <laughs> half the cheesesteak by four o'clock, I'll probably be good. <laughs> um, are you going to eat the whole cheesesteak, you think? Probably. This oh, place okay. is really good. Did I tell you how I found it? No, you'll, you'll fill me in uh, when we get there. All right. or, no, no, you can fill me in now. All right, so... So it was, um, so I run cross country, obviously, and we won, we, we won states at Belmont Plateau. And so my friend and I came back after we had won and we decided that we were going to go to this concert that was in, uh, Berwyn. So we went to the Wayne train station, but the train broke. So we were, and we couldn't get on. So we were like, well, what are we going to do? So we decided we were going to walk from Wayne to, to Berwyn, like the three, three and a half mile walk. So we walked for like an hour and a half all the way through Devon all the way up to, to the place, and we finally got to where the concert was, and right next to the concert was this tiny little place called Phil's Famous Pizza. And we didn't go in initially, but then we decided to halfway through the concert, and it was like the most surreal experience of my life. Like, we walked in, we waited there for five minutes at the counter, there was like four of, like four Italian dudes in the back, and they're all arguing with each other about the cable. <laughs> the Phillies were in the World Series at that point, and they paid no attention to us. They waited until their conversation was done, and they turned to us. That's great. So they come, so the guy comes up, and he asks us what, he's, what we want, and the game's on, and he says, where are your jerseys? And my friend goes, oh, well, mine's in the wash, it's dirty. And he goes, well, so are theirs. And then we, we started laughing, and... Um, so we were waiting for our food, and then I guess a dude from New Jersey called and by accident ordered a lot of food, not realizing the place was in Pennsylvania. So they ended up giving us, like, 50 free wings. No way. Yeah. Oh, like they were really sweet. cool dudes. Yeah. And it was a great experience. It was, like, the best cheesesteak I've ever had. It was amazing. All right. So I've been meaning to go back there. All right. That that sounds like a, it sounds like it could be a short one day, like that whole experience. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll have to check it out. That's a great story. Again, that... That kind of night reminds me of, you know, that's like a, that takes me back to a different time. That's great, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Phil's, Phil's famous pizza. I believe that's what's called. All that. right. Let's rock. All right. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back at famous Phil's up on the main line. So we're going to eat this cheesesteak with our pinkies up. This is, this is the kind of place you go, uh, before you go to the Lamborghini shop right down the street. Yeah. So I'm all dressed up for the occasion. I say we are back. Because me and Mikey Scorsese here filmed our podcast, I don't know, two weeks ago? Oh, Maybe a little that. longer than that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you might notice if you are watching this at the end of the podcast, or if you watch the podcast and then came here, we are in different outfits. Because, for whatever reason, it did not record inside, you know? It might have recorded, it recorded only outside, so we had to come back. Because that's what we do at Cheese Steaks With. We are dedicated to giving you an honest review. And I have to say, the first time I was here, it was a great experience inside. My review the first time was this is the kind of place where you want to come and sit down. It's BYOB, which is pretty freaking sweet. And you can sit down, watch a game. There's a nice TV. And the atmosphere there, there's some characters. There's some characters behind the counter. 
that's uh, the reason why he loves the place. He talks about it on the podcast. And I got that experience because I walked in and the guy, I assumed he was either the owner, definitely at least the manager, was on the phone, <laughs> scre- not screaming, but talking tough to his uh, beef distributor, I guess you call it, saying that the, the meat you're giving me is subpar. I'm getting ripped off for subpar meat, yada, yada, yada. And that said... I did give it, it's a Philly cheesesteak for sure, but I gave it a 7-6 rating because the quality of the meat was very, very bad. So I'm curious if, you know, the change they made is already in effect or if they're uh, dragging their feet there with it. I've taken a couple people here and everyone, like no one has liked it. Only I have liked it. I mean, right away, you, you see you got to chop up. The meat's really thin. I like that. It's not just a chop up. It's a thin chop up. Uh, you got the, the onions distributed out. You got the steam coming off. I don't know if you can pick that up in there, but I think it looks pretty good. Eh, it's, it's not small, but it's not the biggest. And uh, I don't know. It, it, I, I'm excited for this. I'm, I'm excited. I'm a little hungry right now, so... Um, yeah, so am I. So it's, it might sway my rating a little bit, but hey, we can only go up from 7.6, because you know that's the baseline. Cheers. Mm. Definitely better than last time. I remember. I have to agree on that. They've already. improved. I'll tell you what. Phil's hit the jackpot with this computer malfunction, because I this... This is a completely different cheesesteak, second time around. I got my rating. I mean... Already? Oh, yeah. I'm a professional, man. You give me two yeah. bites and I know what's going on. I mean, the roll's great. The meat's great. It, it's not dry. It could be a little more moist. Yeah, I think that's the only knock. I think the cheese, the cheese to meat to bread ratio is spectacular. Yeah, going off the moistness. Like, I kind of like when the juices soak into the bottom of the bun. So you kind of get a soft bite. If that makes sense, oh. like you get that soft under. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah, and and that's not present here. Not at all. I mean, there's zero drip to this. No, but but like you know, if there was drip, I think this would be like a little bit higher in, in my book than uh, than what it is currently. As yep. I decide what the final score is. Yeah. So like maybe this is just me speaking as like a growing sixteen year old boy, but I would like order two of these if I came here. Oh, that's right. Oh man. I forgot if we put that in the podcast or not. If that was just in the review, I have to add, he had this last cheesesteak before a high school track meet. And when we were trying to set this up, I was like, oh, he probably can't do it the same day as track meet. And he's like, no big deal, right? So this kid eats a cheesesteak before a track meet. And Pika's Pizza. And Pika's Pizza. Right. Pika's Pizza Pika's for breakfast. breakfast right. Cheesesteak for lunch. Dry, goes to this track meet and sets a PR. Like... <laughs> To be young again. <laughs> While Mikey Scorsese comes up with a score, I got to pitch the podcast. This this kid right here is a potential, uh, the potential next Tarantino, Scorsese. Fill in the blank of your favorite filmmaker. Kids love making movies, and uh, I've, I've seen some of his work. It's impressive. Oh, thank you. All right. So the only thing that really is a problem for me is that there's not uh, a lot of drip. <clears throat> but besides that, I really like everything about this. Um, and then maybe, you know, I'll, I'll bring it down like a decimal place just because like, you know, I would have to order two of these to feel like, you know, like semi satisfied with like my lunch. Like I would probably order fries with this as well. Um, I'm going to give it a nine, three, nine, three. Yeah. Wow. Last time I was seven, six, which 
as you should know by now, but for those of you that don't know, 7-6 is the baseline Philly cheesesteak. If it qualifies as a Philly cheesesteak, it gets a 7-6. However, whatever they changed, I mean, not whatever they changed. We know what they changed. It was a meat situation. I'm going to give it an Eric Lindros. 88, baby. This is an 8.8. .8. I'll is, take it. This is good. I'll this take is it. good, man. As you said, order it with fries or a side um, to, yeah. to fill you up a little more. But I I, I like I, Phil's got my, I got my approval, man. And just so you know, this video was edited by this one here. So... That's, uh, you know, this is light work for him, but just so you know what he's capable of, you can check out other videos, other cheesesteak reviews he did. I know he did Jack's and Leo's that I'll put at the end of this video. Thanks for watching, guys. Stay beefy, Philadelphia.